0: Thanks, Scott, it's also a great pleasure for me to be here with you this weekend. Um, This is in many ways a remarkable congregation and I always um, return home rejoicing after my time here with you. What I used to instill in my students um, as a basic approach, a principle, if you like, but it's more an approach to Bible study, reading the Bible, meditating on God's Word. Say, look for the unexpected. Look for what's unexpected, what's unusual. Now, one of the problems we have, particularly with spiritual things, and for those of us, like me, who've grown up in a Christian family and we've always heard the Christian story we're familiar with the Bible, is that it becomes ho-hum. Familiar, and we say, yes, I know, and we don't notice it anymore. It doesn't just happen with spiritual things, but it happens in personal relationships. You know, you're so familiar with your wife that you no longer notice her anymore. You don't see what's under your own nose. That's particularly husbands, (laughs) Uh, But I think it goes the other way too, at least I'm told by some, uh, but I can't speak for you. Okay, now, um, as we go through what is going to be the reading for next Sunday, and I've deliberately chosen this, so in a sense you can have it in advance, it's the epistle lesson, the second reading for next Sunday. Um, We have a series of readings from Timothy uh, in this time of the church year. Um, And so I've chosen this because you will hear this again next Sunday. Um, And it's a very, very important passage for us as Christians and Christian congregations. Um, If I asked you, what's the most important thing that you do here as a congregation every Sunday in response to what God does for you here? Now, you've been well-catechized. You know that God calls you here to forgive your sins, to speak his word to you, uh, to give you uh, the body and blood of Jesus, and to bless you. God does lots of good things here. And so we come to church to receive good things from God, but at the same time, he calls us to do things. And as I ask you, what's the first, the most important thing you ever do as a congregation and then it means also you as individuals as members of the congregation well yeah that's it pray Um, and that's what paul says okay let's have a look at what's going to be the lesson for next sunday first timothy chapter 2 1 to 6 and i've printed it out so that you don't need to have, um, you're not confused by various translations. Um, As I read it, notice all the alls. (coughs) Paul says, first of all then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, all people, for kings and all who are in high positions so that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life, devout and respectable in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing, probably better, well-pleasing, in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all men, all people, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there's one mediator, between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony at the proper time. Now, notice all the alls there too, but notice then all the references to man men. Um, I haven't uh, called your attention to that. Uh, urge you to make supplications, etc., on behalf of all men. Um, God desires all men to be saved. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Notice all man men. Are, are there running through it. Now, what's the purpose of this letter? Um, and we had the first reading from it today. I was half tempted to take part of that to do a Bible study, but I resisted the temptation. Um, now... Uh, it's a pastoral letter. It's not a letter to a congregation like Romans and Galatians and those, but it's a letter to a pastor. It's one of uh, Paul's fellow pastors. Uh, this is, you know, like in your terms, this is Pastor Nelson to your Pastor Brusick. Um, he is a, a, a co-pastor. Um, Paul has left Timothy behind as his representative in Ephesus. Um, When he went across to Macedonia, that's north uh, Greek, uh, Ephesus on the west coast of Turkey. Now, this letter is Paul's instruction to Timothy on what he needs to do in the congregation um, uh, while um, Paul's away and as he waits for Paul to come back and to pick him up and to go on to the next stage. So it's what he needs to do in the interim. And Paul doesn't know how long he's going to be away. So this is his written instruction, his charge. We heard that word charge uh, in the reading uh, today. Now, what was his task was to oppose people who taught false doctrine uh, about Christian spirituality. Not so much false doctrine generally, but uh, about piety, the Christian life. Um, Now, the people there who uh, were uh, very, very modern in their mentality, it's what we would now call, yeah, I don't know what we'd call them, uh, but it's a very common form of spirituality, a spiritual life. It's a kind of half Buddhist, half Hindu, uh, New age kind of stuff. You know, you've got a cosmic order and you need to uh, fit into the cosmic order to receive the benefits of the order of the world by harmonising yourself in keeping with its laws. And uh, you did this by uh, meditation, uh, imaginative meditation, speculation, uh, and fasting and diet. Um, uh, You tuned yourself into higher spiritual consciousness. Now, spiritual consciousness, awareness is very trendy in certain circles, uh, particularly um, academic and cultural circles. And there were two things that you needed to avoid more than anything else, one, you had to avoid all those things. Now, the idea that you had a spirit in the body, the body is, a ba- uh, is not very good. It, it weighs you down. It burdens you. Your spirit's good. You need to free your spirit from your body so your spirit can go uh, heavenly tripping. It's like going on drugs. Um, uh, and it, there's a lot of resemblance between the two, actually. Uh, and the way you did this was by avoiding meat-eating a vegetarian diet, and also then avoiding marriage and sex. Sex and meat were the two big no-nos. It's interesting how much that's coming back into fashion. Uh, Vegetarianism is not just for health reasons, but there is a whole uh, spirituality behind it. And there's an underside now in our society. Now, we see the A facade of sexual indulgence but there's a reaction to that where we get a new kind of sexual uh, abhorrence and there's a whole group of people who are basically asexual, turned off completely that I think is likely to increase even more. Now you young people probably uh, have come across this now, the idea, so you, you harmonized yourself with the cosmic order for your benefit. So you'd be blessed, you'd be healthy, wealthy, and wise. But the most attractive part was that you'd be wealthy. This was the secret to success in life. Um, it's prosperity uh, teaching. Now, in contrast to that, the goal of Paul's charge his written instruction to Timothy, is this, in chapter 1, verse 5. The aim of our charge is love. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. So uh, the important thing is not to have a, uh, a clean body according to these standards, but the important thing is to have a pure, clean conscience. And that comes from faith, and it results not in being more healthy, wealthy, and wise, but it comes. To, uh, the result of that is love. That you become, you not only receive love, but more and more able to hand on the love that you receive from God. You get the basic picture. Now what's the context of this passage? Um, it's part of the the first part of the charge uh, that Paul gives to Timothy. There's a number of things that Paul's left undone that Timothy needs to fix up um, uh, while Paul's away. Um, and this is the first part of the charge. Paul says there's three problems um, in, uh, uh, in connection with uh, uh, the congregation. And the major problem is that it's not a praying congregation. There's lots of other things that are right, but it's not a praying congregation. And this bothers Paul. And so the first part of this is uh, 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 the instruction for congregational prayer. Um, uh, So it has to do with the divine service so the importance of intercessory prayer, prayer not for yourselves but prayer for the world. Um, and then Paul talks about uh, the participation of men in prayer and the participation of women in prayer. Now he has to include the women because a large part of the congregation are people who were once Jews. And even if you go know, to the present day, if you go to one of the Orthodox synagogues here. The women are separated from the men. The men do the praying. The women are observers. Now, one of the things about Christian worship was that both men and women prayed together. Um, Everybody was called to communal prayer. But even though women were called to prayer, they weren't called to be teachers, to be pastors. We have here, just in this context, one of the important passages against what we now call the ordination of women. Um, and then uh, uh, the next chapter, chapter three, uh, Paul gives the qualifications for office bearers in the congregation. The qualification for pastors, as bishops now, bishop in the early church was head pastor. Who's your bishop? Pastor Brusick's. Pastor Brusick. Uh, now he has two fellow pastors. They are uh, elders. In this thing. So uh, Scott's the bishop, Marcus and David are the elders, the assistant pastors. And then, as well as that, uh, you have deacons who are pastoral assistants. Um, you have the man in the back row there who is uh, what would be called a deacon in the New Testament. Okay, enough of that. Now, in reading this passage here, there's Four things that surprise me, that hit me in the face as I focus on this and listen to this and meditate on it. Okay, what's the first one? And I've already touched that. What's the first? What's the most important thing that you communally do as a congregation in response to what God does for you and gives to you? Um, yeah, it's corporate congregational prayer. Um, now, that mightn't strike us as being terribly extraordinary, but it was utterly countercultural in the pagan context of Paul. Um, and you can see it if you go to a Buddhist temple or a Hindu temple the present day. Have any of you been to uh, a local Hindu temple here? In okay. Watch out, yeah, but it, you'll find out there, yes, everybody prays, but you'll find out that pagan people, Buddhist, Hindu people, pray for themselves and their family. There is no corporate prayer. And if you think it through, it's nonsense. You now, you want help from God, blessing from God. Whose blessing do you want? For yourself and your family. And so you bring offerings to God and you pray to the gods, so that they will bless you. Uh, But the pagan found this utterly astonishing, these stupid people, Christians. They prayed for who? Everybody, even for their enemies, like the Roman emperor uh, who was persecuting them. Um, All people, uh, and that included people who were not Christians, um, people who uh, were mistreating them. Um, So this is countercultural, and I think it's countercultural too in your context here, at least as in Australia, where the churches have been influenced by uh, generic Protestantism with its individualism, and then the Pentecostal charismatic movement. Um, It's interesting how little corporate praying there is in... uh, Uh, many churches Uh, the focus is on individual personal prayer not on corporate prayer now um, uh, what is so important about this corporate prayer Um, it's prayer on behalf of others so what's the basic reality you and I us as Christians you as a congregation have a remarkable, amazing privilege. You have access to God's grace in the divine service here on earth. You have access to heaven on earth. And it's given to you, sure, for your own benefit, for your own salvation, but it's also given to you for the benefit of others. Now, let's say I I had access to a bank account of millions of dollars. I don't need that all for myself. Uh, But that's the pagan way. You use it all for yourself and for your family. Uh, But uh, uh, we have been given access to God's grace, God's presence, the blessings of God for the benefit also of other people, people who are not Christians, who don't have faith. And if they don't have faith, they don't have access to God's grace. They can't pray. At least they can't pray in a Christian way. There's no faith. Uh, They are not a part of God's family. They don't have access to God's blessings. So um, Paul says uh, corporate prayer is good it 's not that's just good for us who's it good for everybody and the whole world so if you think it think it 's through what we did this morning in the divine service was for the benefit of the whole of Chicago, the whole of the state, the whole of the USA, the whole of the world the whole of the world benefited from what we did this morning. And more than that, it's well-pleasing to God. Um, so when we were praying, um, God didn't just tolerate us because we were badgering him for the needs of others. He was there clapping his hands and saying, look, this is fantastic. These guys really have it. <laughs> this is what I want. This is what pleases me. It's well pleasing to God he's delighted in us when we pray for others particularly those who are outside the church why for those who are outside the church because God wants his blessings to be given to everybody and he wants salvation for everybody and so uh, uh, Paul starts up and says the first thing we do Uh, as a congregation uh, in response to what God does for us is to pray not just for ourselves, not just for our community, but to pray for all the rogues out there (laughs) Um, and for all people, not just people in America, but people everywhere in the world. That's the first surprise. And if you think it through, it is really astonishing. And it is utterly countercultural. Countercultural, I think, particularly in Western countries, which are basically not communal in their orientation, but individualistic. The second uh, surprise, okay, the first surprise is our first task is to pray. Um, The second surprise is for whom we are to pray and uh, why. Uh, We're not just to pray for ourselves, our families, for this congregation, that's important, and its members, or the whole church, the LCMS and the whole church Catholic, but we are to pray for who? All men. All men. All people. All humanity. And our number one target is most surprising. What's our number one duty... As a congregation, we are to pray for kings and all people in positions of authority. Uh, now, uh, so to put it in, in, in your terms, okay, it's, it's, it's not just Trump, uh, but all people in all levels of authority in the USA and all people who are in authority everywhere around the world. Now, um, this might uh, uh, strike us as being rather odd, but you need to remember that Paul was writing this letter to the Christians in Ephesus at a time when the emperor was... Do any of you know? Nero. Do any of you know about, anything about Nero? He was a so-and-so. <laughs> uh, and he uh, uh, organised one of the first and most vicious... Uh, persecutions of the church. So, um, uh, Christians were to pray for the emperor who was an enemy of the church, who was most obviously doing the devil's work in the Roman Empire, and they were experiencing the consequences of this. To pray for Nero and the whole, uh, all of the Roman authorities. Um, So, um, Uh, to pray for kings, rulers, all in authority, and at every level of government, okay? It's not just, um, you know, the empire, Uh, uh, and that includes not only Trump and federal government, but it also includes the international area, uh, governments all around the world, and the international agencies like the United Nations and so on, but also here in the U.S., It means not just the uh, 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 administration, Trump and uh, the people who rule the country, but the whole of Congress. And it means also the leader of the opposition, both parties, all people in Congress. And not just people in Congress, but it has to do with the administration, it has to do with the whole public service. Uh, You know how that affects you. And it's not just on the federal level, but also on the state level and the local level. So it has to do with all levels of uh, government. And it includes things like uh, praying for uh, all public services, uh, armed forces, police, uh, uh, prisoners, uh, health, welfare system, hospitals, all that kind of stuff, the whole uh, range of public services you get the basic picture there's plenty there to pray for and there's uh, lots of agencies that can make life difficult for us and increasingly are making life difficult for the church now one of the things is for the first time in history uh, uh, you as a church and churches in america are beginning to feel a pinch from government um the situation in America has been exceptional uh, right from the beginning because you've had governments that have been basically Christian in orientation and favourable to the church. But the tide has turned. And you know it better than I do. And it's, it's not just turning, it's not the tide, but you get a whole wave now uh, of anti-Christian, um, uh, not persecution, but pressure. And I think particularly young people in your lifetime are going to see more and more obvious persecution uh, uh, sanctioned and then even uh, uh, led by government at its various levels. Uh, What's the purpose of praying for everybody? Paul says uh, that supplications, prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people and all authority so that what? so that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life, devout and respectable in every way. Um, It is for uh, uh, a peaceful life um, that there's peace at every level and there's that peace that makes it possible for us to uh, live devout and respectable Christian lives. You see, it's, if, if, if you're under persecution, if things are hard for you, it's hard for you to practice your faith and to lead a Christian life. And more and more people are experiencing that here in the US and Australia, but you go to Africa and particularly Asia and people said, why are you surprised that's been the... Nor- or that's just what we've had to put up uh, always. Okay, how's time going? Okay, now... Uh, For me, the third big surprise is what kind of prayers we are to offer for rulers, all people in authority. And the basic focus is prayers for people not in the church. That's taken for granted in our families, but outside the church. Um, Outside the church, what kind of prayers... And Paul says there's three kinds. There's supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. Now, um, I could spend a long time with each one of these. There's a lot packed here. And he's not saying the same thing with three different words, but he's focusing on four different kinds of prayers. Now, in each one of these, what's the general thing? Our attitude in praying for... um, the world, is that we identify ourselves with other people who are not Christians. We stand in their shoes and we speak and pray on behalf of them. Notice it's not just prayer for other people, but it's on behalf of other people. Now, what's the difference? Now, I can pray for you, but you can also pray for yourself. But when you do something on behalf of somebody else, you do it because they can't do it. You do it on their behalf, uh, vicariously substituting for them. Why can't they do it? Because they don't have faith in Jesus. And because they don't have faith in Jesus, they don't have access to God the Father in prayer. Um, But you have faith in Jesus. You have access to God the Father. And so you can represent them. You can pray on behalf of them, Uh, congregationally, but this also applies to personal individual prayer, by the way, I'm saying here. Okay, four different kinds of praying. The first is that we are to make supplications for everybody. Now, a supplication is a prayer for help. Uh, if I supplicate God, I mean, say, let's say I'm sick, and I make a supplication, it's I'm asking God to heal me. Now I have a need, and I pray to God to uh, to uh, meet my need. So what do we? What are we here to do? We're to look out into the community and see what. Not a. We know our own needs. I mean, uh, if I came to you and I said, what are your needs? You wouldn't have to think very much because they're at the forefront. But what we don't know and we're not so aware of and we're not interested in is having our eyes open to see what are the needs of other people outside the church. We're so ready to judge them and condemn them and to write them off that we don't see how unhappy how miserable people are around, particularly those outside the church, despite the happy face that they put on. Okay? So uh, what do we do as a church? Uh, We look to the needs of others and we act as if their needs are our needs and we pray for them, for God to fulfil what their needs are. Get the basic picture? Secondly, in many cases... We don't know. We can't see uh, into the hearts of people. You know, in our society, there's the, the media presents sort of a veneer, generalises about what people are like and what's going on. But if any of you have much experience of life, you know that what the media presents as the picture of your society doesn't correspond with the reality. Okay, so in many cases... We can't see what the needs of other people are, but we do know that they have needs. And even if they don't have needs, they need God's blessing. They need God's gifts. Not just the gifts of salvation, the gifts in the order of creation. They, everybody needs to have a happy marriage. A good family life, job, a livelihood, all those kinds of things. So, even if we can 't see what their particular needs are, we know what blessings they need, and we can pray um, for them uh, as if uh, we can uh, represent in them standing in for them and acting as if their need for uh, 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 their need for blessings these things are ours, and we can pray for them, so we pray. For rain let 's say, not just for Christian farmers but all farmers, we pray for good government, not just for the Christian states but all states, etc. You get the basic picture. we act as if uh, their blessings are uh, no their 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 what they uh, need as human beings are our needs, so it 's the general prayer for the welfare of others, we act as if their welfare is our welfare. Now comes number three. This is the one that really strikes me between the eyes. When I look out into the world, I see sin, written large. And uh, I look out in the community, I see all the bad things that people are doing, all the bad things that are going on, And what I want to do is stand in judgment over... You can hear the tone of my voice. I'm good at this. Um, uh, I want to take the judge's thing and I want to criticise and condemn other people. Uh, I take it on a local level. Uh, Somebody's life is in a mess. Uh, uh, What do we do? We have a kind of a glee. um, in seeing. ah, that person has sinned. I'm better than them. They're bad people. And we criticise, we condemn, we gossip uh, about what's going on. Um, What Paul's saying is when we see people sinning out there, particularly outside the church, we are to act as if their sin is our sin. Now, if I sin, I don't need you to stand over me and say, Koenig, this is what you've done. You deserve to be go to prison for this and to get it straight between the eyes. No, what I want from you, if I sin, is for you to pray for, to God for mercy, forgiveness, pardon. Now, I don't know whether we do much of that in the church, but if you look at the... Uh, uh, and we have records of the praying in the early church... They used to do a lot of this, to pray for God to have mercy on the emperors and the uh, people who were their enemies and asking God to forgive them. Remember the first Christian martyr? Do you remember what his name was? Stephen. Stephen. What did he do? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Remember, that's what Jesus did on the cross. Um, That's what we are called to do. I don't think there's any more sin, sinning going on than it used to go on, say, in the 50s, which we look can look back as big a golden era. What's happened is the sin that was hidden now is out in the open. And particularly in certain areas, we are not quite so sensitive to uh, uh, economic sins and greed and uh, its effect, but we've particularly been oversensitized to a narrow range of uh, misdoings within the sexual area. But we're very selective in that area. Um, uh, Just think of the Me Too movement and the way it works. Okay, you get the picture. Uh, Now, so we intercede, we pray for God to have mercy, we pray for the forgiveness of people who are sinning. Um, uh, not just those who sin against us, but who sin against society. And the last one is even is probably just as surprising. We are to give, uh, offer thanksgivings for who? For everybody. And what does that mean? That uh, we see that God makes his sun shine on only good people, good and bad alike. He gives his gifts in creation uh, indiscriminately to the righteous and the unrighteous. God gives his good gifts to everybody. People receive God's good gifts, but they aren't aware that these gifts are from God. Uh, They're not aware. Um, They they, uh, are, are so caught up in sin that they don't see all the good things that God gives them. All they see is The bad things that they think come from God. So they blame God for the bad things that they experience, but they overlook the good things. And they say, who's responsible? Who has credit for all the good things that happen in society? Me and my group of people. Now, we are to give thanksgiving on behalf of who? Other people. Um eyes open to see the gifts that God gives them and to act as if the blessings that other people receive are blessings that we ourselves have received. You get the picture? We uh, do it on behalf of others. We identify with them. Um, and sometimes that's very hard because it's not unusual for unbelievers on the face of things to be far better off and to prosper more than Christians. Um, you don't have to live very long and have much experience of life to see how that is. Uh, despite that, we do what they don't do and can't do, which is to thank God for the gifts that they enjoy. Okay, let me uh, uh, go to the fourth point. Why is God so pleased with these kinds of congregational prayers? Uh, Why was God clapping his hands when he heard us praying? Thank you. Why was God clapping his hands when he heard us praying for the whole world as well as our own needs this morning? Well, God wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He uh, wants all people not just to be saved from Uh, eternal death, the devil, but he wants all people to be saved from every danger, everything that's evil, Um, and he wants everybody to get to know Jesus and have faith in Jesus. He doesn't write off anybody. He doesn't even write off the Hitlers and Pol Potts and Stalins of the world. He wants all people to be saved. Uh, And uh, He is not only wants all people to be saved, but he is a God who has created all people and he is the only God and the only hope for the world. God is not only the hope for us Christians, but he is the hope for the USA. And at least you have, uh, as part of your whole culture, in God we trust. That's a very precious heritage. God is the... Uh, The only one that can make America truly great again is Trump. (laughs) Okay. And not just that, but uh, this is what Jesus is all about. Jesus is the one and only mediator between God and man. God and humanity. A mediator is a person who's a go-between person. Jesus prays for everybody. Um, Jesus brings us and our prayers to God the Father, but he also brings all the blessings from God the Father to us and to all people. So he's the funnel, the two-way bridge between heaven and earth, not just for Christians, but also for all people. He is the one and only mediator. Uh, He is... uh, uh, the man who represents all of us and prays for all of us. And when we pray, we don't just pray together with each other, but we pray together with Jesus. Jesus, the prayer of Jesus is the Lord's prayer. It's the prayer that he prays all the time. And he prays that not just for Christians, but for all people. Um, And when we pray the Lord's prayer, we pray together with him for all people. And his qualification to be the mediator uh, between God the Father and everybody, his qualification to be that bridge man, that bridge person, is that he sacrificed himself. He gave his life as a ransom for who? Now, we quite often act as if he, he died just for me. Did he die for me? Of course. But he didn't just die for me and you or for Lutherans, or just for Christians, he died and sacrificed his life for everybody. Um, And uh, he gave himself to death. He took on sin so that everybody could be saved. Now, where do we do this? How do we do this in the divine service? And it happens everywhere if you have your eyes open. But this particularly happens... In the prayer of the church. The prayer of the church Church is where we focus on this. But I also alert you to other places where we do it. All the prayers that we pray in the divine service are not just for ourselves, um, but for other people as well. So when we say in the Lord's Supper, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. Who is the us? Everyone. Not just us here, but everyone. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Who are we praying for? Sure, each other here, but all people on earth. Do you get the basic picture? Just uh, Next time you're in the divine service, just look at all those praying parts and you'll see what their target is and that it is personal, sure. It's congregational, but it reaches out to the whole world. Um. And when we do this, we most obviously do the work of God and share in the mission of God to the world. Now, in Australia, if I went up in the pulpit and said, how does my text, God wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Pe- people would immediately think, oh, here we go again. What's he going to preach about? Evangelism. How you guys have to get off your butt and bring the people in. Now, Paul uses the text, God wants all people to be saved to urge us to do, as a community, what? To pray for everybody. Um, the problem is that we don't see how powerful it is and uh, what the effect that it has on the whole of the country and the whole of the world. When will we see how much was accomplished by the church when it prayed for the world every Sunday on the last day when all the hidden things would be brought into the light. And we will be astonished that all the great things that we thought we did for God accomplished. Yeah, they accomplished quite a bit, but they were no, not nearly as important as we thought they were, whereas the things that we thought were yeah, um, least important, which is praying... Uh, was, in fact, the greatest thing of all. We uh, have that notion that, that we pray as the last resort. You know we can 't do anything, so what do we do? Pray. Somebody is incurably sick with cancer. The doctors can 't do anything, so we say, okay we 'd better do what? Pray. Now, prayer is not the last resort. it is the first resort and most basic resort. And that's what Paul is trying Timothy to inculcate in the congregation in Ephesus. And that's what I want to urge on you here at St. John's. You're doing it. Do it more. Uh, Do it willingly, gladly. You have no idea what will be accomplished as a result of that. Thank you. We thank you, gracious Heavenly Father, that we've called that you've called us to be holy priests in the priestly communi- community together with Jesus. We thank you that he has not just died for everybody, but that he also prays for everybody and has mercy on all people, not just us. So we ask that you will make St. John's increasingly a, a church, a community of prayer. Give us your Holy Spirit to accomplish this we pray this in jesus name amen god the father give you his holy spirit the spirit of prayer through his son so that by the power of this spirit you may individually and corporately be people of prayer now and always